Well, good morning. Thanks for the uh, warm welcome. Uh, as Hilary said, I'm one of the pastors here on the Catford site, and I'm also married to Amy. Uh, we've been happily married for the last four years. <laughs> yes. And um, I'm a very lucky man. Um, and uh, as Hilary said, we'll be moving in October 2018 to launch our very new and exciting fourth site at King's. Um, I just wanted to take this opportunity to invite you to lunch on Sunday the 3rd of December if you're interested in finding out more. Um, the next slide is a picture of me and Amy. If you haven't seen us before or met us, um, we'd love to chat to you anytime about the foresight, of course. But today, it's great to see so many families gathered together. It's great to pray for children, and it's great to support and stand with families as they commit to bringing up their children in the knowledge of God. It's great to see so many visitors here as well. And as Hilary's already said, you are so, so welcome among us. Today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 33, in the time that we have together. So if you have a Bible, you can start to turn there. If you don't, do not worry, the words will come up on the screen. Or of course, you can steal someone else's Bible. All right, That's how we do it around here. Before I turn to Luke 14, though, in deciding whether or not to launch the fourth site of Kings, Amy and I needed to ask ourselves two very important questions. Those two questions were, what is the cost and is it worth it? In other words, we had to count the cost. It will cost us. It will mean moving house. It will mean leaving the Catford site where we've been for the last four years. It will mean not seeing some of our friends as often as we might like. It will mean smaller things like a longer commute for Amy to work. It will mean carrying a greater degree of responsibility. It will require a greater investment of time and energy. It will be hard work. But is it worth it? Yes, of course. Because ultimately it means that we can serve and reach more people for Jesus. And it also means that people will have the opportunity to get involved in a church family and develop deep and meaningful friendships. You see, we believe that the local church is the hope of the world. And so whilst on one hand it's costly, on the other hand it's so, so worth it. You see, before making any big decision in life, all of us, whether subconsciously or consciously, ask ourselves the same two questions. Whether it's starting a new project, whether it's buying a house, whether it's uh, even having a child, every single one of us asks the questions, what does it cost and is it worth it? But you see, part of the problem is, When we're counting the cost, we don't often know what the full cost will be when we start out. And so we often get caught out, don't we? So for example, has anyone ever tried to buy something online and you think it's going to cost X amount? So you press buy and then you go to to pay for it and it's substantially more expensive than you thought because they didn't include VAT or postage. It's so annoying, isn't it? Or when in a moment of inspiration you think, I want to try and get fit. So you sign up for a half marathon only later to realize it's going to cost you a lot of time and energy put into training. You see, so often we underestimate the cost. But in Luke 14, Jesus is putting all his cards on the table. He's not hiding any more secrets. He's going to lay out what the real cost is of following him. And we all need to decide whether it's worth it or not. I'm going to read in a moment from Luke 14, 25 to 33. 
And I've got a strong warning for you before I start reading. Some of these words will shock and surprise you. It did me when I first started to read this. But then I'll unpack what this really means for us. So be prepared to be shocked. But here we go. Luke 14, 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation, while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. So here we have it. Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem, and large crowds are following him. We don't know exactly how many people are in the crowd, but you get the impression that there's lots of people. You see, it doesn't say a large crowd, like in Luke chapter 9, where Jesus feeds the 5,000, and that's not including women and children, as we know. It says large crowds were following Jesus. So if I'm right, there could literally be thousands of people following this man. They had seen the miracles, they heard his extraordinary teaching, and they were swept along with the excitement. They wanted to be with Jesus. You see, the crowd would have been made up of a range of people, similar to this very room. His close disciples would have been there, but also people who have heard of him, but didn't really know what he was about. So Jesus is careful that they don't get carried away with superficial irresponsible emotion. And so he literally brings the crowd to a standstill. Imagine being there. Imagine. Jesus literally stops thousands of people and everyone is waiting to hear what he has to say. We're going to come back to verses 26 and 27. But in verses 28 to 33, he tells stories or two stories that could easily be retold in the modern day. One is about business and one is about war. But both are about someone who's about to start something costly. One a builder and one a king. In both stories, there's one common factor. Did you notice what it was? Both of them sit down and count the cost first. Just like Ali shared in our uh, singing time. She said, this is a, today is about sitting down and listening. These guys sit down and listen. The phrase sit down and estimate or sit down and consider comes up in both stories. For the builder, he needs to sit down and estimate the cost of of the building project to make sure he has enough money to complete the project. For the king, he must sit down and consider whether he has enough men to defeat the army with more men. Today, we're going to sit down and consider what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Or rather, you're going to sit down and I'm going to remain standing, right? (laughs) 
Otherwise, it'd be a bit weird. But you see, in the West, we can so easily start to think that Christianity is comfortable and easy. No one will demand too much of you. No one will make you feel uncomfortable. And in fact, you can come to a nice church where everything is laid on for you. We can easily start to think that way. But actually, the opposite is true. As I've studied this passage, I've started to realize that, to be honest, Jesus makes demands on his followers. What we see here is that if you want an easy, comfortable life, then stay away from Christianity. But if you want your life to count, if you want your life to mean something in the end, if you want an exciting adventure, then come to Christ and follow him. But we must start with the cost. What will it cost you to be a follower of Jesus? Let's take a look at verse 26. If anyone comes to me, anyone, and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. This is shocking, isn't it? This is shocking. Whether you've been a Christian a long time or whether this is your first time in church, this is shocking. What a crazy thing to say. Jesus is trying to make a point. He's intentionally trying to be provocative. We all do this all the time, though, don't we? Just the other day, I came home, walked into my flat, and straight away I shouted, Amy, I've had the worst day ever! Actually, it wasn't that bad. But I was trying to make a point that I hadn't had a very good day. You see, Jesus is trying to make a point. What does he really mean by this statement? Does he really mean that we are supposed to hate our family and even our own lives? Clearly not. Clearly not. We need to remember that this is the same Jesus who taught, in summarizing the whole of the Old Testament, to love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is the same Jesus who taught us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is the same Jesus who, whilst dying on the cross in his weakest moment, still cared for his own mother by making provision for her in his death. John 19 says that whilst Jesus is dying on the cross, he asked John, one of his disciples, to look after his mother. And from that time on, we're told that Jesus' mother, Mary, lived with John. In other parts of the Bible, it teaches that husbands are to love their wives, for wives to respect their husbands, and for children to honor their parents. So it's inconceivable that this same Jesus would now mean here that we are to hate our family. We see that in a, in a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 10, which says this. It will come up on the screen. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Again, this might be shocking. This might be shocking to many of us here today. But Jesus doesn't pull any punches, does he? What he is saying is that if you want to follow him, you must put him before your family. It's not to say that family isn't important. As I've just shown, Jesus himself looked after his family and loved them. Family is really, really important. But the point Jesus is making is that however important family is, Jesus comes first. 
And the crowd would have also understood this because of the language used was common in their day. But I know today this is countercultural. We've all heard people say, I would do anything for my kids. We've all heard people say, I would do anything for my family. And when we hear those phrases, we can easily think, respect. That's an honorable thing to say. But taken to its extreme, we know that we can end up treating our family like God's. Parents will know that it can become so easy to start putting their identity in what their kids are doing and their achievements. Parents will know that it can be so easy to start living their own life through their kids. What can look like a noble and good thing can sometimes actually be worshipping our family like God's and putting them before Jesus. But Jesus won't have anything. He won't have any of it. He demands our loyalty above our family. A helpful way to look at this is by looking at the solar system, surprisingly. We all know that at the center of the solar system is the sun. And the earth and all the other planets revolve around the sun. But the sun is at the very center. You see, what can often happen is our family or our children, they can become the sun in our lives. And we end up revolving around them. We do everything to serve them and their needs and their wants and their desires. They essentially start to play God and we do everything to serve them. But Jesus demands that he is the son, that he is the center of the family and that everyone else revolves around him. He asked that he, that God be the center of the family and everyone serves and obeys him. And you know what? The irony is that when Jesus is the son, When he's at the center of family life, when he's front and center, that is when life is at its very best. You see, the best thing you can do for your family is to love Jesus more than them. Now, that needs to be worked out in each individual home, of course. But this will have a huge impact on how you spend your time, how you spend your money, what holidays you choose to go on. All these decisions are an outworking of who is at the center of the family, I'm not a parent myself, but we all know what it's like to be part of a family. For me, I can't fully express the huge impact my mum's faith had on my life. You see, growing up, every day I'd go downstairs to have breakfast, and I'd see my mum sitting at the kitchen table every day, praying or reading her Bible. She would insist that we prayed at every mealtime. She would insist that if we ever missed church on a Sunday because of football, which happened a lot, we would get together and pray together as a family on Sunday evenings. She would insist. And you know what? Even to this very day, she lets me know that she prays for me every single day. Now, as a teenager, I didn't appreciate it. I've got to be honest. But looking back, the way that she put Jesus front and center of our family life had a huge impact on me. If you're here and you're a parent, love Jesus more than your children. And even though it might not feel like it at the time, it will have a huge impact on them. Mums and dads, have a living and active faith in Christ. Let your children see you read the Bible. Let your children see you pray and live a Christian life. Model this before them and do not be passive in passing on your faith to them. Don't be passive. That is your role. 
Let God be the sun which everything else revolves around. But if you're here and you aren't married and you don't have children, this also applies to you. You might be unmarried. You might allow the thoughts and desire for a future spouse to dominate your thinking. In your life now, Jesus says to you, put me first. Put me first above everything. That is what it means to be a disciple. You'll notice that in this passage, Jesus doesn't just talk about the family. He says in verse 33, In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus has literally stopped the crowd and laid it all out to bear so they can see what the cost will be. He is literally saying, if you want to follow me, you must put me first. Can you imagine a politician doing this? Can you imagine literally a politician standing up to address a crowd and saying, if you're going to vote for me, you are voting to lose your homes and your families. You're asking for higher taxes and lower wages. You're deciding in favor of losing all that you love most. So come on, who wants to vote for me? It's ridiculous, isn't it? The most likelihood is that people would just walk away. It hardly seems to be the best way to influence people. Yet Jesus seems to be doing that here, doesn't he? But wait a moment. Suppose instead we think of the leader of a great expedition forging his way through a high and dangerous mountain path to bring urgent medical aid to villagers cut cut off from the rest of the world. If you want to come any further, he says, you'll have to leave your packs behind. From here on, the path is too steep to carry all your stuff. You probably won't find it again. And you'd better send your postcards home. This is a dangerous route, and it's very likely that several of us won't make it back. You see, we can understand that, can't we? We may not like it, but we can see why it would make sense. You see, Jesus is more like the second person than the politician. He demands full allegiance to him in everything because that is what the journey requires in order to make it to the end. We're not told what the reaction of the crowd was in this story. But you'd be in your right mind to ask the question, is it worth it? If Jesus is asking all this of us, is it worth it? Well, just for a moment, can I have a show of hands for anyone who has a mobile phone? That should be pretty much everyone, right? It should be off, by the way, while you're listening to me. But nowadays, you'll know that lots of people take selfies, yeah? In fact, who has taken a selfie today? Who's taken a selfie today? Come on, be honest. It's dedications, come on. Anyway, lots of people take selfies, right? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a selfie, but it's all around us, isn't it? iPod, iPad, iPhone, i this, i that. If it wasn't enough, we now have selfie sticks to take better pictures of ourselves, right? Literally, the culture teaches us to focus on the big eye. It's all about me, my dreams, my ambitions, my family, my satisfaction. The culture teaches us that real satisfaction comes in living the selfie life. 
Doing what you want, when you want, and no one can tell you otherwise. That's the alternative to putting, than putting Jesus first. You see, if he's not first place, other things will take his place. Like family, like our ambitions, like our possessions. And the reality is that these things can't fully satisfy us. We know that from experience, right? So I know that if I put my wife Amy before Jesus... I know that I'm going to only be disappointed. Why? Because she's not God. And let's be honest, I'm a very needy person. All right? So if I think that she's going to make me satisfied, if she's going to complete me totally, I will be left disappointed. I'll be left wanting more. And we all know from experience that that is the case. But Jesus asks us here to leave the selfie life behind. And by doing that, we actually gain life. We've been looking at Luke chapter 14. And in the, in the passage before this one that we've been looking at, Jesus describes being with him like being at a feast. He literally says in Luke chapter 14, verse 15, Blessed, which means happy or satisfied, is the person who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Being in the kingdom of God literally means to be a follower of Jesus. And he likens that to being at a great big banquet where everyone is satisfied. Elsewhere, Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. In other words, if you come and follow him, instead of longing for satisfaction, instead of being hungry and thirsty, you'll be satisfied. How is that possible? Well, before asking us to give up everything for him, Jesus first gives up everything for us. After talking to the large crowds, Jesus continued on his way to Jerusalem, where he willingly gave himself up for us on the cross. See, Jesus died to take the punishment that we deserve for living this selfie life. He didn't deserve to die. He lived a perfect, innocent life. And yet he was strung up on a cross to die. Yet three days later, he rose back to life. He literally rose from the grave, proving that he's God, proving that he can forgive you for all your sin, proving that he can make you right before a holy God, and proving that he can give you eternal life. (laughs) Through turning from your selfie life and putting your trust in Jesus, he gives you life now, life that's truly life. And life that will go into eternity. Jesus gave up everything for us so that we can have real life. Life can still be difficult for the Christian as we know. But the Christian life is characterized by joy, contentment and peace. I was thinking about how best to end this sermon today. And um, I thought the best thing I could do was tell you about my mum. That's right, my mum. Because family is really important, yeah? Family is really important. And how you live your life will influence your family, particularly your children, if you have them. Here's a picture of my mum. This was taken a year ago at uh, my nephew's dedication. The picture there is of my nephew and my two nieces. And um, I just want to tell you about my mum, because she, throughout her life, has put Jesus front and centre. 
You see, in her early 20s, she left England to be a missionary in the Democratic Republic of Congo. This was back in the 70s. There was no mobile phones. She wasn't taking any selfies, all right? But she literally left her family behind to be obedient to the call of God in her life. And she went to the Congo and ended up staying there for 20 years. There she met my dad. They married. And due to a civil war in the early 90s, they were, we were evacuated as a family and ended up living in Brighton, in England, of course. Throughout my life, I've seen my parents live out a strong Christian faith where they've literally chosen to put Jesus front and center. And to be honest, for a long time, I've resented them for that. For life, life looked like this for us. Every Sunday, we would know that we need to arrive early to church and be the last to leave, when all I wanted to do was go home and sleep. Every Christmas, rather than it being just the family, I knew that my mum and dad would invite total random strangers into our house. Of course, we wanted to help people and all that, but all I wanted to do was eat and watch the football. And most Wednesday evenings, when I came home from college, just wanting again to watch the football, I knew that my mum would kick me out of the living room because once again, she was hosting another church small group. That is what life looked like. But my mum and dad wanted us to know that they were on mission. They wanted us to know that they were pursuing something far greater than themselves. And they wanted us to be a part of it. Let me share a short testimony of this. See, last year, my dad uh, passed away. Uh, Passed away from pancreatic cancer and went to be with Jesus. Of course, the whole family was devastated. And uh, among the people that came to our Thanksgiving service were our next-door neighbors who'd been living next door to us for some 25 years. They were impacted by the service, and afterwards they told us they'd like to do an Alpha course. It's one of the courses we do here as well. And they wanted to find out more about Jesus. So we weren't going to say no to that. We were thrilled. They ended up doing an Alpha course at a local church, whilst my mum went across the road and babysat for their two young boys. While they did the Alpha course, the parents became Christians. And whilst my mum babysitted for their two young boys, she engaged in conversations with them, and they too became Christians. Over the summer, all four of them got baptised and are now members of their local church. At the baptisms, the parents gave testimony to the fact that while the Thanksgiving service prompted them to find out more, It was actually the life and witness of my mum and dad for some two decades that hugely impacted them. They spoke about how they saw our family leave for church every Sunday. They spoke about how my parents were kind to them. And they spoke about how they saw us welcome people into our home. They saw the way our family lived life, the decisions we made, and how we put Jesus front and centre. See, my mum is such a humble person. If she was here, she wouldn't want any attention. She's just chosen to live for Jesus. In fact, she's turning 71 in January, and she still serves in the church youth group. Such is her passion for Christ. (laughs) I keep telling her to slow down, but she keeps going. I don't get it. And if you asked her, is it worth it? Her answer would be a resounding yes. 
As Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. You see, following Jesus is costly, but it's so worth it. If you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus, maybe a friend just invited you along. Maybe you were forced to be here like I was when I was growing up. Can I encourage you to find out more about this Jesus? Surely, if this has even the slightest possibility of being true, it's worth spending some time to investigate. Why don't you talk to a pastor or a friend that brought you along or someone who invited you today? I'm sure they'd love to tell you about Jesus. See, every single one of us has to make decisions on how we spend our time and our energy. After all, we only have one life. And so whatever we spend our time doing, we need to make sure that it's worth it. I can stand here and tell you that following Jesus is worthwhile. But only you can decide whether it's worth it. Let's pray.